0: This is hell. The world is on fire. So, yeah, this is hell. And with record high temperatures for April recorded in large swaths of Asia, across Thailand, Myanmar, Laos, Vietnam, China, and throughout South Asia, as well as record April highs in Spain sure does look like the planet is burning. So if the planet really is on fire, that is, suffering from climate change and increasingly extreme weather, including fires and droughts, all we have to do is put that fire out, right? Seems simple. Sure, that technology doesn't exist. Yet. But I'm certain it will. Humans are a creative and innovative bunch. I'm sure everything will be just fine. I mean... Sure, it doesn't look like we'll meet the 2030 carbon emissions goals of the Paris Agreement, but that's seven years away from now. we got plenty of time. Who knows what us clever monkeys will come up with by then. In the meantime, we can just keep living our lives the way we've been living them. All we need to do is get this green grid up and running, and we can just keep plugging along with a constantly growing economy, providing us with all the luxuries we currently enjoy and... Uh, Many of them that we waste. According to today's guest, that seems to be the thinking behind the Green New Deal, which promises a green future where we can just use as much energy and consume as much goods as we actually do today. There's no need to change our wasteful habits or lifestyle. No need to worry. Nothing to see here. Green tech is coming and it will save us all without having any negative impact on the planet despite being built by fossil fuels and the fact that we still do not have non-fossil fuel alternatives for things like, you know, cement and plastics, things that we need for our daily lives. While a Green New Deal may sound like a good thing, after a closer examination, it looks like a bunch of wishful thinking that undermines the urgency with which we should be addressing climate change. In a few minutes, we will have the return of journalist and author Christopher Ketchum who wrote the Truth Dig article, The Green Growth Delusion? Advocates of green growth promise a painless transition to a post carbon future, but what if the limits of renewable energy require sacrificing consumption as a way of life? The Green Growth Delusion is from the Truth Dig series, Green Tinted Glasses. Absent from most public and policy conversations is any acknowledgement of the possibility that renewable energy cannot power a high consumption civilization. This series will explore mounting evidence that a major downshift in consumption is looming and explore the implications of this energy realism for human progress and flourishing. And I kind of love that term, energy realism. Christopher writes at Denatured, his journalism nonprofit, which helped provide funding for this article and the series. You can find Denatured at Christopher's website, ChristopherKetchum.com Christopher was on the show back in January when we talked about a story he co-wrote with Charles Kamenoff. The shutdown of luxury emissions should be at the center of climate revolt. Climate disorder won't be remedied through any orderly march of green energy. The world must also reign in consumption, which was posted at The Intercept. You can follow Christopher on Twitter at CKetchumWild. Thanks to listener Leo G who suggested we have Christopher back on the show. Leo wrote that we should have Christopher on as he is examining the futility of green growth without shedding demand and illusions of sustained economic growth. Thank you Leo, we truly appreciate it. Producing is Will Ippen. Will, what's new by you, sir? Um, not a whole lot. I've got some gardening in my future that I'm really looking
1: forward to. Um, what are you commuter- growing? Uh, vegetables uh, have a couple community garden plots up at uh, the garden at Howard and Ashland
0: oh no kidding yeah
1: like right by the, is there a gas station right there uh I'm there's one to... not far away like a convenience store yeah um, they're, they're, it's the old footprint of like a like a printing press
0: uh, operation that was raised and then they just have an empty
1: lot yeah. So uh, how long you been uh, planting there? Oh, jeez. Uh, since it started, I th- so
0: this is my 11th year. Wow, because yeah. a lot of those plots don't last very long. Uh, they either get taken up by development, like I mean good development, like a new CTA station or whatever, like that's happening over here on Peterson, mm-hmm. or they will uh, end up getting <laughs> the PFAS... Stuff, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, district of uh, water, manag- uh, water Management District, they will uh, send you uh, soil that will help you grow plants. Unfortunately, it's littered with toxic chemicals. Yeah, mm. Mm, delicious. So that hasn't happened to you yet. No, not yet. No lead poisoning either. So good for nice you. It's open. Yeah. And with you in the uh, produ- producers' booth today is Cat Jarvin and Cat. I'm really looking forward to you being a regular member of the staff here on This Is Hell.
2: Oh, me too. I'm very excited to be here. Hey,
0: is this your sec- third time you're sitting in with Will?
2: Yep, this is my third time, but only the second time with a guest.
0: Yes, because we got blew off before. Yep. <laughs> Thank you very much for being here, Kat. Really appreciate it. Uh, the per- Will, please remind us what is this week's question from hell for our listening audience and give us some of their responses so far. This week's question from hell is: Where would
1: you like to see, or would you next like to see Tucker Carlson? And man, listeners have us
0: working pretty hard on this one. They do, and both me and Will, uh, we both struggled over this because we wanted to say, "Where would you like to see Tucker Carlson next?" But we realized that ends with a preposition, so that's why it sounds kind of clumsy. But still, I think it's better English. Yeah, it's more uh, grammatically sound, and it doesn't sound as midwestern because we're not finishing the sentence (laughs) with a preposition because.
1: Right. Yeah, I don't need to sound any more midwestern. Exactly, than I already do. Um, so on Patreon, uh, Nathan B. says, "Tucked away forever in the annals of bad history." I'm so glad you said annals. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, with all these other responses. <laughs> exactly, it, <laughs> that, <laughs> that Freudian slip's pretty easy. Um, NYC M and a hole says, "At the hands of the contras, he was supporting in the '80s as a CIA asset." Greenleaf C says. I want to know more about Tucker Carlson and his relationship with the Contra <laughs> suddenly. Is that made up or not? Tell me more. Exactly. Uh, Greenleaf C says giving away his wealth and feeding people. That's nice. <laughs> That's very nice. Yeah. I'm not betting on that. No. <laughs> uh, Todd H says, I wouldn't. <laughs> That's o- good. Old Grouch says, eating tingleberries out of Trump's butt at a uh, public s- rally. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Jesus. didn't take long grimity. to go there. Wow. And you're all horrible people listeners. Um, <laughs> Warwick M says tattooed with a crown of thorn uh, a crown of thor- thorns on Gren Greenwald's chest while Glenn is sitting with his feet on AOC's desk with a camo Mega hat a fat chew visible in his lip holding a trident holding hands in prayer while the QAnon shaman and Marjorie Taylor Greene after having stormed the Capitol uh, following Trump's 2020 for Defeat, of course. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Can somebody
0: make that into a painting for me? <laughs> I'd like to see that. There's an, an art a, show coming up. Yeah, and uh, there's AI now, so we could have that done overnight. Exactly.
1: Um, Andrew J. says, Drunk and alone in an alley on a cold and rainy night. So he wants to see him like me? <laughs> Riley J. says, He can go on a Second Amendment sanctuary zone.
0: <laughs> nice callback to last week's <laughs> yeah. Patreon
1: podcast. Uh, Cody J says, "In another Eamon uh, Animations video, mm, okay. not sure what that. I'm mm, gonna all to about. that one up." <laughs> Jonathan L says, "In the dirty, in the dirty left, we need all the arses we can get." <laughs> Neil C says in drag at an immigration detention center, reading out loud all Derek Bell's books on critical race theory. <laughs> good. Tynan S. says, piloting Elon Musk's next rocket. Another good callback. <laughs> Sarah K. says, never want to see that uh, jackass again, uh, unless it's in an obit notice. Uh, that will be a fun obituary. Yeah, it will be. I will really enjoy reading that <laughs> Yeah. Part. Um, Aristides Quintal... Q. Q, yes. <laughs> um, in Human Centipede 4, theaters near you. Oh, Jesus. Jeez. Um, let's wow. see. Wow. A name I can't say on the radio says, Hanging out like Mussolini. <laughs> wow. That's not the first. Wow. That's not the last Mussolini reference. Oh, Really? Either. Yeah, there's uh, some good stuff on Twitter too. Holy and cow! Tim C says snuggled up next to Rush Limbaugh. Oof! So that's Patreon. So people are basically
0: wishing death on. It. Yeah, there's some there's some themes developing here. I think there's only one on Discord. We'll do that one right now, and then we'll move on. All right, sounds good. Discord. Um.
1: <laughs> Sandeep B says, underwater, underground, in
0: space. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, uh, we Will we will be sharing more of your responses to this week's question from hell, following our guest, the person with our favorite answer. It gets their choice of whatever This Is Hell swag they want. You can see all of our stuff by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. You can leave your answer to this week's question from hell at our Facebook page. You can tweet it at us. You can email it to us at thisishellradio at gmail.com. But we must have your answer by the end of today's show when we are announcing this week's winner following Jeff Dorchin in the Moment of Truth. Will, what is Jeff doing during this week's Moment of Truth? Jeff wonders what's with all the advice. (laughs) Yeah, what is with all that advice? So we got an email from a past producer on This Is held Daphne. Those of you who were listening to the show back in the fall of 2020, Before there was a vaccine May remember Daphne At the time she went home Had to go home to Chile As her family was concerned About her health and well-being During the first year of the pandemic And what was supposed to be Only a few months back home Ended up being a lot longer Daphne recently moved back to Chicago And she joined us During last uh, September's anniversary And listener appreciation party As well as hanging out with us During uh, office hours Downtown Or downtown downstairs At Carrie's Lounge 2251 West Devon Avenue uh, in Chicago's Westridge neighborhood, which happen every Wednesday evening about starting around six PM Daphne writes, Hi Chuck, I heard your excellent interview with Rasha Al Akidi of New Lines a few days ago and again I just want to stress you should listen to that interview with Rasha uh, as she discusses what it was like to be raised under Saddam Hussein and then to witness the war the first years of the war uh, the war on Iraq and it's just an absolutely fascinating conversation on her end. My end not so much, but her end absolutely fantastic. Uh, Daphne continues, as you point out, I didn't hear anything similar in the media, although there is some Overton window allowance to condemn past wars now that the destruction already occurred and the weapons industry already made their profit. As you know, I'm super pregnant, and one of the things I read about from 2019 was the illegal use of depleted uranium in Iraq and how it has caused malformations in babies. We actually covered it on the show, and maybe in a couple weeks we'll be sharing an interview that we did about depleted uranium back in the 2000s on our Patreon podcast. Daphne says, I obviously uh, think that my good fortune to be able to make a big deal of this pregnancy and take care of things like baby showers and make a registry and decide whether we're using cloth or disposable diapers. And I wonder why it could be hard to imagine that over there, really, people are mostly worried about the same dumb things. How does propaganda instill in brains that people are at all interested in causing harm halfway across the planet more than like hydrating or having children with Ten fingers and ten toes But what it also brings me back to Is the leap between fair coverage And a truth and justice commission Because one thing is everything the media Can distort or correct And another is a formal process That gives institutional and official weight To the quest for truth and justice And as infinite as that project might feel There's no better way to make strides Than starting Which is why I wondered if you ever interviewed Pastor Roy Bourgeois I believe I have only heard him talk about uh, these commissions in relation to the U.S. wars on Chris Hedges' show, a past guest on our show. This also relates to uh, the causes of reparations and land back, which chronologically come earlier. And frankly, I've only seen the process done in a domestic instance anyways. But when, how will it be possible? Where will there be an opening to include this in an official narrative? Would you say this is a question from hell aside We did launch the party at the art gallery and devise physical theater companies sounds as economically sustainable as a radio show that puts people before profits. So please give me some advice when you can. Take care. Talk soon, Daphne. If you are looking for an art gallery space that would like to do, you want to have a meeting up here with your community members, if you want to have an art show, if you want to do something else, show a film up here, please contact us at at chuckatthisishell.com. We have a space that you can use. And all of this is a reminder of how fortunate we were to have Daphne work on the show because she is a big thinker. Daphne, we may have had Roy Bourgeois on the show in the past. I know I was in contact with him at one time, and uh, but I'm not certain if he was ever on the show. So I'll look it up. And if he was, we'll share that interview as well or an interview on depleted uranium. Coming up. Economic growth causes climate change. Will will share more of your answers to this week's question from Hell. We'll tell you what's happening on Thursday's bonus podcast for Patreon subscribers at Patreon.com/slash ThisIsHell. And following this week's moment of truth from Jeff Dorch, we will be announcing the winner of this week's question from Hell. Live from Lake Capitalism, where we know the price of everything but the value of nothing. This is Hell. And we apparently do not know the value of, well, the planet, because we don't seem to be doing much about climate change, despite the urgency with which it needs to be addressed. Here to help us have a better understanding of the real causes of climate change and what can be done about it, returning to This Is Hell. Journalist and author Christopher Ketchum wrote the Truthdig article, The Green Growth Delusion, which is part of the series Green Tinted Glasses. Christopher writes at Denatured, his journalism nonprofit, which helped provide funding for this article. You can find Denatured at ChristopherKetchum.com, and you can follow Christopher on Twitter at CKetchumWild. Welcome back to This Is Hell, Christopher. Hey, man. How are you doing? Good. Very good to have you back on the show, and thanks again to listener Leo G., who suggested we have you back on the show. You begin by writing in the annals of industrial civilization, the Green New Deal counts as one of the more ambitious projects. Its scale is vast, promising to reform every aspect of how we power our machines, light our homes, and fuel our cars. At this late hour of ecological and climate crisis, the Green New Deal is also an act of desperation. Our energy ravenous culture cannot continue producing carbon without destroying the systems that are the basis of any advanced civilization, not to mention life itself. Something it must be done and quickly to moderate the pressure on the atmospheric sink while powering the economic engine. So that makes our current capitalism appear self-destructive at best. What are the systems that are the basis of any advanced civilization that are the most under threat right now, in your opinion, from our current economy and its current state?
2: Well, if you look at the industrial capitalism, which is based on a uh, vision of perpetual growth of economies and populations. It is uh, it basically <clears throat> functions by overshooting the biophysical carrying capacity of Earth. So, uh, if we look at climate change as one symptom of uh, human overshoot, um, we can also add to uh, that list of symptoms things like um, desertification, um, the Destruction of arable soil, um, the uh, um, freshwater depletion. Um, <clears throat> there's also the overshoot of available resources. So, for example, one of the things I talk about in um, uh, available mineral resources, that is, one of the things I talk about in the Truth Dig piece is about how we expect to massively expand um, mining. All across the planet to supply the copper and nickel and molybdenum, rare earths um, to build out solar and um, wind infrastructure. So there's there are, basically there are limits to growth on planet Earth. We are overshooting a lot of those limits, and that. Um, that means that industrial capitalism is effectively a suicide pact because it contains within itself the seeds of its own destruction. Um, So the Green New Deal is meant to be a way out of that suicide pact, but I argue that if the Green New Deal is wedded to business as usual, which is growthism, right? Then, then really, we're just we'll be swapping out uh, one uh, untenable source of energy fossil fuels for um another that in the long run will likely perpetuate our unsustainable relationship with the um with earth systems
0: i'm gonna Ask a binary question here, and I know that they are always, uh, always fall flat on their face. But do you believe that the uh, the Green New Deal is more about saving capitalism than it is about fighting climate change or saving the planet?
2: As currently conceived, absolutely, it's about saving capitalism, it's about basically allowing corporations and the investor classes to come in and make a whole lot of money, purporting to address climate change. But again, you know, there's a lot of very simplistic thinking out there, especially among uh, green groups, um, in which climate change is considered to be the only problem that we face, carbon emissions, the only pollutant that we need rain in. And if we address those pollutants, everything will be fine well this is this is a falsehood. We are still facing a um, an ecological catastrophe on so many other levels and driven by population growth and by economic growth.
0: Do you think that that simplicity is grounded in desperation? Does it make sense that there is this simplest, simplest uh, response to uh, climate change? through the fact that we are so incredibly
2: desperate um d- desperation I mean I don't think it's desperation yet um I-, I think it's simply not wanting to face up to the fact that we in the developed world with all our comforts and our uh, and our energy affluence will need to, lose some of those comforts and abandon um affluence as the meaning of life if we are to allow for example the you know billions of poor people who deserve some sort of dignified survival right to rise up uh to to raise their standards of living and uh and, and which will entail poor people using a little bit more energy so the idea is there's a downscaling of those of us in the developed world in terms of our energy and ecological footprint and a uh an increase that same footprint uh among poor people that would be fair and just i don't even know if that's possible given given where we stand today but i I It seems to me that's, that's the only just and equitable path forward in terms of energy distribution. You mentioned
0: ecological footprint. People are very familiar with the term carbon footprint, which was invented by British Petroleum. In their uh, rebranding of themselves, following Katrina, they came up with this idea of carbon footprint to blame individuals for the uh, use of fossil fuels. It's a problem of consumption in individuals and not a, con- a problem with producers whatsoever. Do you, uh, so what's the difference between that kind of carbon footprint and the ecological footprint that you just mentioned?
2: First of all, it is a problem with consumers. It is a problem with individuals, and so there's no need for binary thinking in that regard either. The oil companies are just as much at fault as someone who buys an SUV and drives it you know, 200 miles to a mall. So I mean, consumers are at fault. On the other hand, consumers are trapped in a monstrous system that is built on their continued dependence on fossil fuels. So you know a person born today is born into that system and doesn't have much choice other than to try to function within it as bad as it is for climate and for the environment but still individuals are at fault just as much as corporations as for ecological footprint well the ecological uh, footprint encompasses the entirety of the um of the um uh, all the energy and materials that um, that a person uses in their lifetime um, and I, I suppose you know I, I make the distinction between ecological material footprint in the truth dig piece but really we're talking about the same thing here it's it's uh, it's the uh, total volume of of carbon but you know but also metals food uh, et cetera, that go into maintaining a, a certain lifestyle, whatever that lifestyle might, might be. If it's you know, the lifestyle of the rich and the famous, the ecological material footprint is huge. If it's a lifestyle of a farmer in Sudan, it's very low. Uh, in the developed world, our footprint is gigantic. And... Uh, and very destructive, but that footprint is the basis of our whole system of consumption and affluence seeking. So what do we do? We are, the system as it stands is based on more consumption and more affluence seeking. The meaning of life in the United States is about material wealth and growth of material wealth gdp expansion the economy and so on
0: so you were mentioning the unwillingness of people to face up to climate change how much do you think that unwillingness to face up to climate change is because optimism wins elections people don't want to hear a pessimistic story about climate change Do you think that that's what's driving our our, what role should I say or how much does that contribute to our unwillingness to face up to climate change? Because optimism seems to win elections and pessimism does not.
2: Well, you just said it. Optimism wins elections. It's a bunch of lies for the most part, but that's how it works. People don't want to be told that they have to sacrifice. They don't want to be told that their life is going to be. less wealthy and less glorious than that of their fathers and grandfathers. They want to believe in the vision of infinite progress. Progress defined, of course, as more stuff, more travel, and um, more display of affluence. Uh, yeah. I'm I People don't want to sacrifice. It's just the long and the short of it. <laughs> and that's why I, th- I think that, you know, that ultimately we in the developed world are going to continue on this path of widespread exploitation of earth to maintain uh, our lifestyles until we head right to the edge of the cliff and then take the entire planet off the cliff with us.
0: You mentioned a podcast hosted by Ezra Klein, and you write that in a 2019 episode of his podcast titled, How to Solve Climate Change and Make Life More Awesome. He laments that conversations about climate change are pretty depressing, but decarbonizing doesn't mean accepting a future of less. It can mean a more awesome, humane, technologically rich, and socially inspiring for us all. His guest Saul Griffith, inventor and clean energy advocate, agreed that our cars could be just as big, only electric. Yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah. yeah, the American dream could be better than ever. But as there are many definitions for the American dream, they nearly all have some form of equality, anything and everything being equally available to any American, equal access to opportunity for all, upward mobility is possible for everyone regardless of where they're born, what class they're born into, their race, religion, or gender, that we are all equally given the same opportunities for whatever we individually consider success. So what happens to the American dream when it is confronted with climate change and our economy's dependence upon resources that cause the destruction of climate change? What Was uh, this constant economic growth, was that always part of the American dream?
2: Yeah, of course. Of course, the American dream is predicated on a, on a, on a massive land base, shorn of the obstacle posed by the indigenous peoples who lived here and then massive exploitation of that land base. That's the American dream. Now, as for all this nonsense talk about equality and upward mobility, well, we have neither. If you most likely, if you're born poor, you're gonna stay poor. If you're born lower middle class, you stay lower middle class. that Those are the statistics. Equality, okay, well, <laughs> we're in the most unequal society in the world in terms of income and wealth distribution, so. All that stuff about the American dream is just, is just been, as we all know. Um, But yes, the American dream is really about growth of material wealth acquisition of things. And uh, it is a, the dream itself from the moment of conception has been a loathsome one because it reduces human beings to consumers and shunts aside our responsibility as citizens. The American dream, of course, has been exported worldwide. So you got China and India, their populations. They want to be like us. Great. (laughs) Um, Gandhi once said, back when uh, India had something like 300 million people, he said, if 300 million Indians seek to live like those in the West. I'm just paraphrasing. We will strip the earth bare like locusts. Well, the American dream exported worldwide and embraced by billions of people will strip the earth bare. And hundreds of years from now, we'll look back and we'll say, wow, human beings really are a bunch of locusts. Amazing.
0: (laughs) We are a bunch of locusts. It's true. So uh, there's talk of banning gas-powered leaf blowers and lawnmowers. A ban on gas leaf blowers went into place this weekend, this past weekend in Pasadena, unsurprisingly, home of Stanford University and civil engineering professor Mark Z. Jacobson, whose plan for a bigger, greener American dream has been embraced by people like, AOC and Bill McKibben. For more on creepy Silicon Valley, check out our interview with uh, Malcolm uh, Harris from a couple weeks ago about his book, Palo Alto. Are we facing relentless and endless culture wars over what is and what are not important energy consuming tasks? Is that our, our at least near term future? Is climate change even becoming more of a culture war issue based on what we can and cannot do? What how we can consume our energy and how we cannot?
2: Man, I don't know. But what I do know is that I don't give it about leaf blowers. <laughs> I mean, sure, yeah, let's have electric leaf blowers. Fine, whatever. It's just another deck chair rearranged on Titanic. That's fine. I mean, I think leaf blowers are horrible in the first place. Just use a rake. But, yes, these are... Uh, these are just, uh, you know, cosmetic changes that don't address the real issue. The real issue is, just take one example: we all want to fly everywhere. Everyone wants the right to fly on exotic vacations all over the world. Go to Paris from New York for a weekend. Well, if you want to have a society that isn't pouring thermal waste into the atmosphere that promise to derange the climate system of the Holocene so that we head into some version of hell, you know, then we gotta stop the flying. Or just global global transport altogether, just in time delivery from Amazon, it's all based on massive, massive consumption of fossil fuels. The US military, the single largest, the, the entity that is the single largest user burner of fossil fuels on earth, you should oppose them too, so you know those are the big issues, yes, ban the leaf blowers fine, great, great um it is a footnote in um in our in in the ecological environmental history that will be written hundreds of years from now as you know as the disaster that it's unfolding to be.
0: Yeah, it's just an asterisk. It's nothing when it comes to the historical Mm. nature of the situation. You quote Mm. the academics uh, Patrick Moriarty and Damon Honoré. And uh, they, uh, Moriarty tells you, as a rough guest, I would say 50% or more of our demand needs to be uh, decreased. And you write that if half of current energy use must be cut to reach true sustainability, Moriarty suggests a good start in ending is ending, as you mentioned, global transport and trade, as we know it. In other words, he said globalization will have to end. Uh, can we still have basic goods? without trade and transport? Because that's what we're, you know, the way that we're being told this whole thing is that globalization is holding us hostage, that we cannot stop globalization or else the world will not be fed. So can we survive without globalization and trade and transport?
2: All right, well, there's two different things here. There's one, there's there's material goods that are, there's material goods that um, provide sufficiency and material goods that are luxury items. Let's divide the luxury items from those that, or sufficiency items. As for food, no, there's no way we can produce food on a massive scale to feed billions upon billions of people without fossil fuels, namely ammonia produced from natural gas. And of course, all the fossil fuels necessary to power the various machines that um, that sow and reap and produce and distribute all that food. Uh, so uh, can we move forward with business as usual, which includes a global economy based on a lot of trade of goods that are unnecessary? Yes, we do just fine, but that would mean a transformation, a social and psychological, even spiritual transformation of immense proportions away from affluence seeking. Now, is that going to happen? No, it's not going to happen because if the past is a predictor of future behavior, well, there you have it. We've known about, just to take one example of one part of human overshoot, climate change, we've known about carbon emissions for decades and over the course of those decades our carbon emissions have gone straight up and up and up so that is a foretelling of our future which is that they're going to continue to go up we're going to continue to dominate planet earth so that we can grow and grow and grow and we're going to leave a legacy of ashes. That's most likely what's going to happen. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I, mean, I don't know what to say. It's like um, people say, well, what about optimism, man? Well, okay, optimism is fun. If you're, you know, smoking opium, uh, that's fun. But the reality is, again, reality is, is already been shown us in terms of, our behaviors, you know, civilizations don't change and most people don't change. You know, once you're, once you're an adult, you're pretty much locked into certain behaviors. And you're just not gonna change. Uh, absent of course, some terrible exogenous shock that forcibly transforms societies and individuals. So those shocks will be coming and they will likely be terrible and there'll probably be a large loss of life at some point. And then some kind of changes will be instituted. Will those changes be um, sufficient to, to um, prevent a total catastrophe? I don't know. There's a great book on this Kim Stanley Robinson's ministry for the future, which talks about a, um, for example, a heat wave in India in the late 2020s that kills millions of people, and that alters the course of history. Uh, but it still takes decades and decades and decades for for um, for the the <clears throat> the monstrous global capitalist juggernaut to be dismantled, and that's that's a fictional vision now. Like I said, it's a book, it's an entertaining book, but it's just fiction. So, and in the end, Kim Stanley Robinson's vision is, is a hopeful one because he suggests that um, with these violent shocks to the system, changes for the better. And when I say for the better, I'm talking about for the better of mother earth can be made.
0: We are speaking with journalist and author Christopher Ketchum, who wrote the truth dig article, The Green Growth Delusion. It's part of the series, The, Green, uh, the Green-Tinted Glasses. Uh, Christopher writes at Denatured, his journalism nonprofit, which helped provide funding for this article. You can find Denatured at ChristopherKetchum.com. So it seems like what the Green New Deal is doing, intentionally or unintentionally, who knows, I can't imagine what motivations any, uh, something that is inanimate as a Green New Deal has, but it seems to be leading to optimism, which is great, making people feel better about the future. How bad is that for the future when it comes to climate change? Is, op, does optimism undermine our ability to challenge climate change?
2: I think when optimism is merged with techno, what I call technological messianism or technological saviorism—the idea that a literal, a literal Deus ex machina is going to come along, a god out of the machine to save us—I think when that type of optimism is um, embraced in society, then you have a problem because it's technology that's gotten us to this point in the first place. So are we to assume that the the same command of of, um, technology and the same drive for innovation that has planted the seeds of environmental and ecological destruction that same embrace of technology is then going to somehow lift us out of that problem. Very dangerous, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I think that the the techno optimism of guys like Ezra Klein or Elon Musk is um, is at present employed to maintain the statu- a the status quo of elites and b the delusion that the american dream of endless affluence is biophysically possible on a tiny planet with limited resources
0: The fix of technology would seem, at least to me, to distract us from whatever role capitalism, whatever role economic growth has played in contributing to climate change. Uh, To what extent do we recognize how we do use our energy today? And is that the point of today's capitalism, to not realize how we use energy and not be concerned about it? How dependent is capitalism on that overuse, our unnecessary, even wasteful use of energy?
2: I think your first point is the most important that our, our use of all these resources occurs in a welter of everyday ignorance. So we think water comes from a tap, food comes from a supermarket aisle, electricity comes from the flip of a switch and so on so you know years ago i think in 1961 edward r murrow said no people uh, have been so dependent on so many different resources and at the same time have been so ignorant of where those resources come from that was 61. i think he said that 61. and the same holds true today we are totally dependent on incredibly complex extractive systems, but have no idea really, or most of us anyways, how those systems work. And so for example, take the Green New Deal's vision of a renewable energy-based uh, society in which wind and solar Dominate as sources of energy. Well, wind and solar require massive, massive mining. Of, I mean, you, you name it. The the thing, the volume of materials is just incredible. In in that, um, I mean, hold on. I can pull up some statistics here. I and mean, first of all, so we need we need copper, lithium, iron, aluminum. That means we're going to be digging up ocean floors and rainforests and tundras. Um, you know if we want to replace the um, internal combustion engine fleet, a global fleet of um, autos, well, with electric vehicles, that is, um, you know, every electric vehicle contains something like 75 kilograms of copper. Well, if you've ever been to a copper mine, it is filthy. it leaves poison, destroys the soil, toxifies the air, the water, kills the people, the communities around it. Uh, A single wind turbine contains about 500 kilograms of nickel Uh, and and so on and so forth. There is um, a massive Ecological environmental footprint in terms of resources to be mined in order to build out this so called renewable energy grid. Well, we don't really talk about that because it's all labeled green and earth friendly and renewable.
0: You quote uh, energy and systems theorist Václav Smil, who acknowledges that rapid decarbonization is possible, but only if we vastly reduce demand, a route that would entail, quote, substantial cuts to the standard of living in all affluent countries. There's the term standard of living. There's the term quality of life. Can we decouple standard of living from quality of life? Can we have a cut to our standard of living without our lives becoming simply awful because that's the other threat we seem to be held hostage on when it comes to climate change that the only way that we can have this life that we that we can have any kind of life is by burning fossil fuels that anything without it is awful so can we decouple standard of living from quality of life
2: well i think that question misses the um the real issue the real issue is what is abundance and what is there a difference between what we're told or what is defined as abundance for us by advertising and marketing systems that are tied inextricably to growthism and to corporate power and control? Or is abundance, uh, can we have abundance without lots of material goods? I and mean, we have in place a massive brainwashing system all the advertising that makes you feel bad if you're not keeping up with the Kardashians or whoever it might be. I mean, there's a reason that we don't decapitate the Kardashians at the guillotine because we want to be like them (laughs) because we've got a whole system in place telling us to be like them. So uh, what is abundance? What is sufficiency? What is the good life? These are the big questions that don't get asked, at least not in mainstream media. And maybe it's time we start addressing those questions to see how uh, what, what a future truly sustainable society looks like.
0: We do not have a conversation about waste, energy waste, unfortunately. We don't have a conversation about how we use our energy. But there's one way in which waste does keep coming up in conversations, semi-related to climate change, but related to other things as well, and that is food waste. We were talking about leaf blowers earlier. To you, what explains the focus on food waste instead of energy waste? Well, I don't I don't
2: see them as... as um... Distinct. They're all part of the same system of, of incredible waste. Um, you know, it, it's said by the proponents and apologists of the global industrial capitalist system that this is the most efficient system ever devised in the history of Homo sapiens, that markets are an efficient allocator of resources. But if you look at what's actually going on, This is the most wasteful system we've ever had. It's just waste, waste, waste. It's incredible. For example, just in your daily life, how much packaging gets thrown out, single-use packaging? Talk about waste on on an astonishing scale of waste. So food and food waste, I don't know, I've heard estimates as much as 40% of food gets just tossed in this country. Maybe that's high, maybe it's low. I don't know, I don't have the, the stats in front of me. But it's a lot, a lot of waste, a lot of energy waste. Um, I mean, there's just the energy waste inherent to auto-dependent suburbs. we got to drive everywhere to, to do anything. So waste is built in, and the externality costs of that waste are not so that if we were to price things properly, like price the actual externality costs of the plastic packaging in which we got our boxed lettuce, the lettuce might be like 20 bucks and then no one would buy it because the real cost would be priced into, into, uh, well, into the the commodity item. So yes, the system is predicated, the functioning of of our system is predicated on lots and lots of waste. And, and not pricing that waste and not caring about it either, really.
0: You mentioned Olivia Lazard, a fellow at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, who studies the geopolitics of climate. You write that Lazard fears that green tech development will plunge us into a period of heightened ecological and environmental assaults on previously undisturbed ecosystems. This will, in turn, quote, heighten the risks of conflict and insecurity whose consequences would reverberate. Worldwide, can the resources resource demands of a green new deal be a national security threat? Can it lead to war? Because there's the hope that green tech can make it so we will avoid the oil wars we've been fighting since forever.
2: Absolutely, it can lead. Look, resources are resources. It doesn't matter whether it's oil or or, or lithium. National governments are going to want to dominate those resources to perpetuate their own power, energetic power and political power, and uh, will deploy armies to do so. So, yeah, I fully expect there to be green resource wars in our future.
0: So in your opinion, what do you think is the likelihood that the public will eventually, at some point, demand a much greater response to climate change or like mass shootings and the current fires and droughts, which are caused by climate change, we'll do nothing and stay in the same kind of denial about what is taking place all around us right in front of our faces. How, much, how likely do you think it is that we are eventually going to finally force some sort of response, or are we just going to normalize and tolerate this like we do mass shootings?
2: You nailed it, buddy normalize and tolerate and adapt and things will just get crappier and crappier until there is some massive shock to the system so yeah we're not going to do anything about it most likely but that's just my reading of history man maybe maybe things will transform overnight there will be unicorns and purple dinosaurs and and cotton candy clouds, and you know, all that good stuff envisioned by the deluded progressive mind. I'm very conservative in this regard. I think I think I don't have much uh, 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 affection for homo sapiens.
0: Oh, so you write right the Fundamental to the ideology of the American dream Are these notions that political strategists In the U.S. have identified as Growth phobia These are the people who are anti-degrowth movement Which is a difficult thing to wrap your mind around Anti-degrowth uh, The growth phobia and techno-pessimism Are two of the deadliest sins That can be devil elected officials How can the degrowth movement uh, Shed this image Of uh, fearing growth and uh, h- hating uh, technology? How can the degrowth movement shed those images?
2: It can't because, because that thinking is inherent to degrowth. It is inherent to degrowth to uh, question technological optimism. It is inherent to degrowth to say that the, um, the political system as currently conceived and constructed is based on unsustainable profligacy. It's inherent to degrowth, to to demand downsizing and downscaling of energy appetites and material appetites. And so in our system, which is based on the very opposite, that's considered anathema.
0: Is the Green New Deal then, to some extent, climate change denialism?
2: As currently conceived, yeah. If you if you want to build out renewable energies, I'm all for it, man. I'm all for it. We should just be building solar on every rooftop in America, absolutely. But that should be coupled with uh, with degrowth, with the sense that okay, this is not. We're not doing this to perpetuate the the monstrous system. We're doing it to try to eke out some sort of energy system or energy survival that doesn't involve the continued mass destruction of ecosystems. And that doesn't involve us killing each other for resources. So, a program of sufficiency a, or a Green New Deal coupled with a program of sufficiency. I think that should be our goal. But again, that's pie in the sky. It's not going to happen.
0: That's the optimism I love from Christopher Ketchum. So Christopher, Thank you. Thank you.
2: anytime, anytime.
0: So uh, you know, I just wanted to uh, say that one of the things I was going to ask you is uh, for a question from hell, Is is there a clean alternative to re- renewables? But it seems like just changing our patterns of consumption would be the answer to that question. Correct?
2: That's right. Yep.
0: Uh, so, we've been speaking with journalist and author Christopher Ketchum, who wrote the Truth Dig article, The Green Growth Delusion, which is part of the series Green Tinted Glasses. Christopher writes at Denatured, his journalism nonprofit, which you should definitely check out, and helped provide funding for this article. You can find Denatured at ChristopherKetchum.com. One last question for you, Christopher, and as we always do with all of our guests, our final question is the question from hell. The question we hate, hate to ask, you may hate to answer. Our audience is going to hate your response, which is the category I think this one will fall into will, will it will it take nothing less than a major massive even potential global disaster for us to finally address climate change yes it will any idea of what kind of disaster that'll be? Pandemic? Are you going for a pandemic? Are you going for a global war? Which uh, Which one are you going for?
2: Our pandemic? No, no. Next time we need a pandemic that actually works. Okay, this pandemic failed. <laughs> what we need is, um, uh, yeah, like a like a global war or uh, a masturbation event, a, a, a multiple breadbasket failure, um, heat waves, con, con, uh, you know, um, concurrent heat waves, planet wide that kill lots of people, um, something like that. Yes. Or just a- I think a, that, could, that
0: could, Yeah. I was just going to say, or just a better pandemic.
2: A better pandemic, better- That's what I'm voting for, a better pandemic. So I got a t shirt. So we need a better pandemic.
0: (laughs) When you get those t shirts out, please tell me because I want to make bumper stickers too. Listen, Christopher, it's always a pleasure. Despite the content of our conversation, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for being back on the show. And everybody should check out uh, his uh, uh, journalism nonprofit, denatured, at ChristopherKetchum.com. Thank you so much for being back on our show, Christopher.
2: All right. Thank you.
0: Take care. This is not the media. This is hell. So, Will, Kat, you filled with optimism now? Are you just, like, bubbling with optimism over there right now? Oh, yeah, the the sunshine's repellable back here. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say. So, you can tell this is not the media because you are not going to hear an in-depth conversation about economic growth destroying the planet in any corporate establishment media outlet, whether that corporate establishment media outlet is public or private. If what Christopher said on today's show reminded you that, yes, this really is hell, but also that we can and should do something about it, show your support by becoming a subscriber to our weekly bonus Patreon podcast, which goes live on Patreon at patreon.com slash thisishell every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Chicago time. I always forget if it's standard timer. Daylight Savings Time. So yeah, we're currently in Daylight Savings <laughs> it, so. I thought yeah, it was inaccurately saying that. check from. that. Yeah. I know, right? It's annoying. On, uh, or you can uh, show your support at completely listener, uh, for Completely Listener Support of This Is Hell by visiting thisishell.com and clicking on Support. Will, please remind us what is this week's question from Hell and tell us how our listeners are responding so far. This week's question from Hell is, where next
1: would you like to see Tucker Carlson? And um, we have a bazillion, lots, a bazillion <laughs> responses on Facebook, so let's get to it. Yeah. Um, 33, to be precise. I know. It's quite a few. Um, Matt M. says, Alex Jones podcast. <laughs> Martin S. says, gerbling at Warlock Pals annual campfire. Wow. <laughs> to which Alex M. replies, whilst gargling, <laughs> So,
0: I I know those two. They're Canadian artists. Okay. And they're two very disturbing people. Yeah, they don't sound very Canadian to me. (laughs) No, they are not. Uh, Christopher A. says mopping booths at an adult video store. I interviewed for that job. Yeah? Yeah. No kidding. It was at this place in Ann Arbor, or Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti, Michigan. And the porn theaters were called uh, the Art Institutes 1 and 2. (laughs) Oh, man. And they had rooms. Where, yeah, where you do your thing. Yeah, and my job was going to be, as the guy described it, to empty the buckets. Ugh. And I was like, wow, you better be paying me a lot of money. And he said, yeah, and then you got to stay overnight because, you know, the movies are whatever they were $4.99, but the last movie of the night is $8.99, so these guys can sleep here overnight. That's <laughs> That whole story is bleak, man. Yeah, I passed on oh. that job. <laughs> Um, (laughs) Being in Ypsilanti, Michigan doesn't help out that story. Sure.
1: (laughs) Um, Let's see. Where would you next like to see Tucker Carlson? Warren L. says, that hole looks nice, referring to the giant borehole. On um, the Facebook post. Yeah, yesterday. I think that's in Russia. I can't remember where. I just looked up uh, Deepest Hole in the World. I don't know when you found it. <laughs> it's right there. Sam A says, as a bathroom attendant at the Indy 500. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Uh, Ugh, I'm sensing some themes here. I know. Uh, Chris S says, why do I have this uh, liberal. <laughs> stuff on my
0: timeline (laughs) (laughs) I don't know Chris S but I I contacted him to ask him why I have no idea (laughs) what the hell did you do and by the way I'm offended by you calling us liberals (laughs) Right. (laughs) very offended by that (laughs) Uh, John
1: C says I would like to see Tucker Carlson co-starring with Don Lemon in this summer's blockbuster buddy comedy that's exactly what I want to see and uh, they're lining up
0: their agents as I type this yeah, he concludes he a YouTube video yeah. where they talk about how Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon hired the exact same agent or attorney. They did, yeah. Following their firings at Fox and CNN. Must be a, uh, <sighs> you know, a, a good crisis we got to bring back Crossfire and have yes. those two as the hosts. Oh, man. It would be totally vapid because neither one has a thought in their head. I know. It would just be all vibes. Oh, that'd be no great. Thoughts. That'd be great. Uh, Ronaldo...
1: Of Rotten History fame says, in one of the lower circles of hell. Sure. Uh, Ray O says, nowhere ever again, turn off his mic, too, <laughs> also forever. <laughs> All right. Ed F says, as host of This Is Hell. <laughs> <laughs> That's just Wink. mean. Yeah, That's just mean. mean. Joanne C says, chained to a desk in a history class taught by Heather Cox Richardson and surrounded by LGBTQ. Q, Antifa, feminists, transgenders, transsexuals,
0: cross dressers, and you and Pete with Mel on his lap. <laughs> Two things Heather Cox Richardson, we've had on the show in the past. You should look up our interview with her. And uh, the other thing is uh, Tucker Carlson should be the host of This Is Hell because he'd get more Patreon patrons. Exactly. Our new business model. We'll just let him do the show. Yep.
1: Um, Aaron D. says, Off-Broadway doing Death of a Salesman. <laughs> That's
0: spectacular. <laughs> yeah. That is spectacular. Oh, yeah. wow. Uh, Willie S- Loman. Having him play Willie Loman would yeah. be absolute. Not one of the sons. He can't play, like, Biff or something. No. He's got to play Willie Loman. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Oh, man. Especially if he went back to wearing the bow tie. Perfect. Picture
1: yeah. perfect. Isel uh, S. says... What is the geographical equivalent to the second Tuesday of next week? <laughs> um, Borky B says where his labor will set him free. <laughs> That's brutal. Stephen wow. V says in a box. Yikes. Doug G says in the hospital being treated for the same kind of brain cancer Lee Atwater has. Jesus. <laughs> John T says performing
0: his swan song. <laughs> So nobody, no listener of our show believes in karma. Is I that? What I mean? Yeah, maybe it's reserved for yeah. I don't know anybody but Tucker
1: Carlson. Yeah. Uh, Justin C says, "In a service industry job in a small town." <laughs> um, uh, Figmund N says, "As a
0: guest on This Is Hell, <laughs> host okay. or guest, host either or way. Guest, maybe sure. both. We could have him as a guest and just do it, have him on once, and then our Patreon patrons would go through the roof. Exactly. And we'll put it behind the paywall."
1: I think we're My on to something. I'll
0: teach <laughs> Krimsky K
1: says, I would like to next see Tucker Carlson working on a pistachio farm for peanuts. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> it is a tough gig, but the oligarchs will appreciate his efforts and applaud his dedication to the cause. Will A says... Californian in a Californian forest during forest fire season. So he's a prisoner fighting a fire. Is that what he's yeah, <laughs> suggesting? Yeah, I think that's there? the vibe there. Yeah. <laughs> Mark A says he might be on RT, but I won't see him. Yeah, I actually heard that he was talking to people at RT. Yeah, they they uh, contacted him like almost immediately. Apparently, <laughs> it'd be great to see him and Tom
0: Hartman on the same <laughs> outlet.
1: <laughs> David Z says emceeing Drag Time Story Hour. <laughs> now that's spectacular. It sure is. Carly H says, working in a Walmart register during Black Friday and being the only register open, whatever wages he makes still will not pay for his rent and legal bills. Kim G says, nowhere. Sharon O says, on Putin's lap. Uh, David R says, after successfully lobbying the FCC to reintroduce the Fairness Doctrine, Tucker will begin his newest endeavor at KNUR with his own radio... Live stream podcast called This Is Heaven. <laughs> That's brutal. Steve L says on a milk carton. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, wow. Bodon, Jesus. Wow. In Russia, Tucker in Moscow rolls off the tongue. Uh, George B says McDonald's drive through. And Pete V. says, in space. <laughs> in space. In
0: space. The person with our favorite answer to this week's question from hell wins your choice of whatever This Is Hell swag you want. You can check out all of our merch right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. You can leave your answer to this week's question from hell at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thisishellradio, or you can direct message it to us via Twitter at thisishellradio. Or during this last hour of this week's This Is Hell, you can email it to us at thisishellradio at gmail.com. But we must have your answer by the end of today's show when we are announcing this week's winner following Jeff Dorton in the Moment of Truth. Will, again, what is Jeff talking about during this week's Moment of Truth? Jeff wonders what's with all the advice. What is with all that advice? Keeping it real, real deep in debt since 1996. This is Hell if you want to help us climb out of that debt. You can subscribe to our Patreon podcast at patreon.com slash hell. Become a subscriber to This Is Hell on Patreon and get exclusive access to our weekly bonus Patreon podcast, which streams weekly and is podcast shortly after at the same place, patreon.com slash hell. It goes live every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. This week on Patreon, I don't know about you, and if I did know about you, I wouldn't tell you, because that wouldn't mean my surveillance system is working. But maybe what I have most uh, learned most from This Is Hell, especially over the past dozen or so years, is maybe, possibly, I'd probably go as far as to say, my growing awareness of the stuff that's right in front of our faces that reveal how truly screwed up our world is, but we take them for granted, almost natural and a feeling that none of us have the ability to do anything about any of it, whatever it is. The nastiness we tolerate and normalize is increasingly in stark relief for me because the guests we've talked to on the show. And to be honest, it's kind of annoying. Like in the movie that may be the most referenced film in the history of This Is Hell on the show here, they live. And the first time Rowdy Roddy Piper puts on the glasses that shows him what the world really is, He freaks out, but his curiosity and the desire for knowledge and the truth is unbearable and Rowdy Roddy has to keep looking through the glasses, no matter how horrified he is by the actual world he sees through those glasses. Well, I put on my Rowdy Roddy glasses last weekend in Central Illinois, and on Patreon Thursday, I will tell you what I saw, and it was frightening. Also on Patreon... We're sharing our 2010 interview with Heather Rogers, who is on to talk about her book, Green Gone Wrong, How Our Economy is Undermining the Environmental Revolution. In her book, Heather asks a simple question. Do today's much-touted green products, carbon offsets, organic food, biofuels, and eco-friendly cars and homes, do they really work? Again, this is 13 years ago here on the show. Implicit in efforts to go green is the promise that global warming can be stopped by swapping out dirty goods for clean ones. Heather asks, can Earth-friendly products really save the planet? But the only way you can hear me reveal what I learned about America in central Illinois last weekend and a conversation from 2010 on how green had already gone wrong 12, 13 years ago is by subscribing to This Is Hell on Patreon at patreon.com slash this is hell. If you do become a subscriber at This Is Hell on Patreon, not only do you get a special code word giving you a discount on all of our merchandise that you can find right now at ThisIsHell.com when you click on support, but you also get access to over 350 past Patreon podcasts. That's like two years of additional This Is Hell with each and every one featuring a monologue by me and a classic interview that currently is not available anywhere else online. That's Patreon.com slash This Is Hell. Coming up, Jeff with the moment of truth. The rest of your answers to this week's question from hell. And we will be announcing this week's winner. We'll also tell you what's happening on next week's This Is Hell. Live from Hangover Country, this is hell. And I know you have Hefe on the line. One, two, you.
3: A little free advice. Everybody's got their advice for living a good life. Some wisely keep it to themselves. Some, despite espousing tenets of the philosophy of stoicism, simply cannot keep their mouths shut. Someone recently posted this from Marcus Aurelius. When you wake up in the morning, tell yourself, the people I deal with today will be meddling, ungrateful, arrogant, dishonest, jealous, and surly. They are like this because they cannot tell good from evil. But I have seen the beauty of good and the ugliness of evil and have recognized that the wrongdoer has a nature related to my own, not of the same blood or birth, but the same mind, and possessing a share of the divine, and so none of them can hurt me. No one can implicate me in ugliness, nor can I feel angry at my relative or hate him. We were born to live and work together like feet, hands, and eyes, like the two rows of teeth, upper and lower. To obstruct each other is unnatural. To feel angry at someone, to turn your back on him, these are obstructions those words me off here's what you should do when you wake up in the morning marcus empty your bladder and move your bowels that is how to start your day then and only then or maybe after a cup of coffee you can prepare to meet all the benighted folks who don't know the beauty and ugliness you have seen then you can vow you are in no way afraid of them and make your protestations that they are family to you Protestations that are undermined by your obvious sense of superiority. The Stoic philosophers are an aggravating bunch. Their motto seems to be, never complain, never explain, which I have joked is the passive-aggressive's creed. Toxic masculinity is the lens through which they evaluate human behavior. To them, strength is the ability to withstand suffering. It is the code of the ox. It is the way of the beast of burden. Nothing wrong with being a perfect ox if you value the values of an anthropomorphic ox mentality, but why would you assume others should value the same thing? How would a society of oxen be desirable? Know thyself is a familiar motto, yet the Stoics don't seem to know themselves to be judgmental, passive-aggressive, and tacitly smug. The same someone blind copied an email to all of us, I assume, couldn't really say, being blind and all that, that contained the advice of music critic and overachiever Ted Joya on how one could be like him or something, read like him or learn like him. He was self-taught, although he holds multiple degrees, certifications indicating he learned what this or that institution required. He lists a bunch of rules, none of them in and of themselves bad, but most assuredly subjective and idiosyncratic. Generalizing about how people who read should read is a fool's errand. Do I want to be like Ted Joya? Not if all the errands I run are going to be fool's errands. Find a fool to do those, fool. Do I even want to be like someone worthwhile, like like Zora Neale Hurston or Richard Feynman? But they already were those people. I love that they existed. I love that they were themselves. My admiration for them satisfies me. I don't need to be someone else, no matter how wonderful. Here is my advice, if I may be so bold as to lay it on you. Don't grow, don't learn, don't improve yourself, don't succeed. Be as kind as you are able and be as healthy as you can in order to be kind, but don't stress it. If you can increase your ability to be kind, you should probably do that, but holding out the goal of being a kind person is not advised. You will grow, change, and improve whether you want to or not, so just let it happen. Success is subjective. Don't aim for it, for that is the worst thing you can do. The goal-oriented life is a life not worth living by definition. A purpose renders you instantly inadequate in the present. Don't be like water either. That's just another thing you aren't to try to be like. We are not a worthy species. We do not deserve the earth, no matter how much Emerson and Thoreau appreciated it, or how brilliant Darwin or Da Vinci or Georgia O'Keeffe or Basho were at observing and loving it. We are the most arrogant, reckless beings in all creation. Remember the first month of the lockdown? That was heaven to me. Didn't have to go anywhere, the roads were empty, birds and wildlife began to flourish, the air and water began to clear, nature began to heal, and it became obvious what the economy actually needed, not the overpaid worthless CEOs, the entrepreneurs, the finance sorcerers and their phlegmy sycophants, but the workers, teachers, nurses, the people who actually do all the things, not the wallowing swine who leech profit. It was all so obvious, and I thought surely the majority of people couldn't deny what had to happen. But then the petty, government should help no one, not even me, crowd of rectal thermometers started throwing their hissy conniptions and tantrums. So of course, the discourse went from realizing what was really destroying the environment and hamstringing public well-being back to the We have got to get back to whatever the mentally disfigured business as usual sphincters decided was the misery as usual they needed to suckle on to relieve their infantile anguish. So yes, I am back to demanding that everyone stop what you are doing right now and never start again. Humanity must go on a general worldwide strike now disobey all commands. Even this one, disobey common sense. We should not hold it in common because it makes no sense. Shut yourself down. Oh, but what about this? And what about that? All right. If it actually needs doing do it because of that, not because it's business as usual and most certainly not because someone who lords it over others. So as to siphon profit from their work orders us to. Those scum need to be dealt with harshly and permanently. I am passionately sick of the adulation to find your passion, blow it out your ass, sick, sick, sick of advice on how to improve my health and effectiveness. No more health, no more effectiveness. Life on earth wants us to halt in our tracks. Just sit still and shut up all of you. I intended this to be a much more coherent diatribe when I started, but my patience is just about at an end. We need to stop everything. I don't want to hear any excuses. If I find you doing something, you would better have a damn good explanation. When I walk into a room, everyone will focus on me. Well, then don't go into the room. You narcissistic attention vampire. I'm going to build this. I'm going to achieve that. Why? Why don't you know? It's all trying to grasp the wind. Stop your pointless activity. It is killing the earth. It's a writer's strike y'all pencils down backs to the mattresses. Your nap is your power power naps to the people. This has been the moment of truth. Good day.
0: I was watching some late night talk show uh, yesterday, a couple couple days ago, and they began the show by saying that uh, the show might be interrupted because if the uh, writer's strike actually happens, they (laughs) will end the show. And so I stuck around because <laughs> of the tease, you know. I wanted to see the show end. I got halfway through it; it was still going strong with like maybe eight minutes left, and just the musical guest. So I was like, "I guess this writer strike has been averted," and it was not. So no, it was not quite the tease. But, I mean, there you for can't.
3: Me. It's not like they're you know the writers are writing during the show, like I oh know. God. We got to write this next segment or he's not going to have anything to say.
0: Or that they're going to be like, okay, now that we've given you the script, you can't read it because we're now on strike.
3: Right. I'm taking that back. <laughs> exactly. Like, like it's in hard
0: copy. <laughs> like there's only one copy of it and it's not on a computer.
3: Look, man, I don't. All right. I've, I've just got one more. Up, oh, you don't get that word. Sorry. You're just going to have to make it up yourself.
0: <laughs> exactly. We're taking all oh, the sh- whys with us. So there's no whys in the script.
3: I probably shouldn't say this because I am on strike, but uh, as a writer, I do have to say, next is not a preposition. It's an adjective. <laughs> it is an you adjective. You can end any sentence you want with, with
0: next? Okay. That, yes. That by the sure. way,
3: you can end sentences and prepositions, too.
0: I know. I just don't it's, like to.
3: You just did!
0: See? <laughs> That's the joke. What's next? See, you dummy.
3: <laughs> yeah, not
0: big dummy.
3: Oh, by the way, I think... Uh, will should read my answer to the question from hell from the chat from the zoom chat
0: oh yeah what is his answer to the question From remind people what the question is will the question from hell is where
1: would you next like to see tucker carlson and uh jeffy says i'd like to see tucker carlson growing like an onion with his head in the ground
3: <laughs> oh that's so sad yeah oh that's not sad oh and then do you see the did you see the uh statue the Uh, The controversial statue of the mermaid that they're talking about getting rid of because she has a giant comely ass (laughs) no
0: (laughs) this is the kind of thing I don't care about when I see that that it pops up in a headline uh, giant mermaid statue I stop at that (laughs) point oh speaking of which I was in uh, Bloomington Illinois they had three stories on the front page of their paper the three stories were about a hockey camp for girls in Bloomington Another story Ooh, Another story was about abortion rights in Illinois. And another story was about the Montana lawmaker, Zephyr, and I'm forgetting her last name.
3: Zephyr Teachout?
0: Zoe Zephyr. No, Zoe, Zoe Zephyr, Zephyr. Uh, from Montana, who is a lawmaker who was not allowed to be in the chamber. They forced her to be uh, legislating from the hallway. So oh, the, because so, she's trans? No, just because she, vo- she voiced her support for transgender people. Uh, so, okay. three That's stories. One is about hockey. One is about abortion. And one is about somebody by the name of Zoe Zephyr. So, you go to the jump page, page two, where all three articles are on top, one above the other. And they have a single word describing each of the three stories. So, the biggest words you see on page two of the Bloomington Pantograph are hockey abortion zephyr which is the worst train car on amtrak if you've ever taken it to new orleans you really do not want to be on that train
3: it's not a very good wind either that (laughs) ill wind blows nobody good
0: no it does not anything else you'd like to share with the class before you leave
3: i would like to ask you chuck (laughs) do you think this show is just all about you talking about whatever you want to talk about yes it is oh I just wanted to make that clear.
0: Yes, exactly. That's exactly. By the
3: way, that tech yesterday—what a downer! What's that? Heck yesterday—what a what a downer, man! What a what a killjoy! Yeah, he
0: sent me an email saying, "This is what happens when you talk to me before noon. It's all gloom and doom."
3: <laughs> well, it turned out my uh, my moment of truth was kind of appropriate because it was an anti-growth, no growth, See? no improvement, nothing good.
0: Until next time, Jeffy.
3: Are you gonna relax? Stay beautiful All right.
0: Live from land stolen from the Potawatomi people This is hell The person with our favorite answer to this week's question from hell Wins your choice of whatever this is hell swag you want That is currently available at thisishell.com When you click on support You can leave your answer to this week's question from hell at our Facebook page You can tweet it at us Or you can email it to thisishellradio@gmail.com. at gmail.com And if you do, we will read your answer still on air Will, please remind us what is this week's question from hell And share the rest of our listeners' answers this week's question from hell is where would you next like to see tucker carlson
1: and we have another facebook in under the wire daniel s says as a guest on this is hell um then to twitter um, eatfart69 says in a construction site porta potty pit on a hot summer day gross um ahmad s says they participate in
0: Netflix' Love is Blind show. I have no idea what that show is. All I know is the title. You have any clue what that is? No idea, but okay. uh, I've heard people talk about it. Yeah, that's about it. That's as far as most of my yeah. TV watching goes. <laughs> people talk about something and then I don't watch it. Let's see.
1: Uh, Ed Sutton says, Upside Down in Milan. <laughs> another Mussolini. Uh, another Mussolini. <laughs> and uh, Elliot S. says, Nowhere.
0: Right. Is that it? And we made it through all of them. Holy cow, I can't believe it. All right, the answers I liked most were, and you and Kat, you know, decide which one you like the most. I loved Steve L. saying a milk carton. <laughs> uh, <laughs> NYC hole At the hands of the Contras, he was supporting in the 80s as a CIA asset only because... What the hell's going on there? Right. Is that really true? I want to go look that up now. Uh, Riley J. saying he can go to a Second Amendment sanctuary zone. I appreciate it, Riley, for the callback to last week's Patreon. Uh, Contarotho, hanging out like Mussolini. Ed Sudden, upside down in Milan. Those are good. Borky Balco, where his labor will set him free. (laughs) John T saying performing his swan song. Uh, David Z saying emceeing a drag time. Story Hour Chris S. Why do I have this liberal crap on my timeline? That's a great answer. <laughs> and we kind of want to give it to him know, just so man. we can send him our stuff. He can have some swag. <laughs> right. Aaron D. saying off Broadway doing Death of the Salesman. <laughs> and uh, via email, Rick M. Uh, wrote to us and said uh, OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> OnlyFans. So, Kat and uh, Will, why don't you guys decide which one is your favorite? What do you like in. Yeah, same yeah. Death of a Salesman <sighs> Tickled All right. everybody Aaron D, you are the very Hotly contested question from hell This week, you are the winner of this week's Question from Hell for answering Where would you like to see Tucker Carlson Next, see I put it at the end this time Jeff was right Aaron uh, D says off Broadway Doing Death of a Salesman So you are the winner Aaron D And just send us your mailing address and what piece of This is Hell swag you want, we will get it in the mail To you post Haste, congratulations We really appreciate you participating And thanks to everybody for sending in their answers To this week's question from hell My answer to this week's question from hell Where would you next like to see Tucker Carlson Definitely with his own show On MSNBC Absolutely no question And then former CNN host Getting Tucker's slot At Fox News So the last person who thinks And that any of those three cable news outlets is in any way legitimate or a good source of in- information so they might finally realize it's all crap. Thanks to everyone who sent in their answers to this week's question from Al. Will, have we confirmed any of our guests for next week's show? We
1: have. First up, we have Alex Duval, who returns to This Is Hell to discuss his World Peace Foundation article, Sudan Is Tearing Itself Apart. And washington lost its capacity to help the truth that no one was doing the basics of multilateral diplomacy to prevent the bloody power struggle we're witnessing today alex is executive director of the world peace foundation and research professor at the fletcher school of global affairs tufts university and post or prof, professorial fellow at the london school of economics Alex was on our show back in 2015 to discuss a book edited and wrote written for um, the essay collection advocacy and conflict critical perspectives in transnational
0: activism how big is Alex's uh, ecological footprint I mean this dude's at Fletcher School of uh, Global Affairs (laughs) Tufts University (laughs) professorial fellow at the London School of Economics I assume he's just zooming all the time yeah it's a good question
1: yeah um Right. So we have. <laughs> and then we answer. also have uh, writer and publisher Charlotte Shane, who wrote the N1 article three times. The pregnancy was the crisis, not the abortion. Charlotte has a new book coming out later this month titled
0: Prostitute Laundry. Hmm. I like the title of that book. Yeah, it's I'm curious what that's about. How do you prostitute your laundry? I'm not too sure how you do that. As always, we will have The Past Inside the Present with Sebastian Vuppert. This week in Rotten History from Ronaldo Magaldi, Jeff Dorchin with A Moment of Truth. A huge thank you to all of this week's producers. Will Ippen, Dan Kugler, Kate Jarvanen. Thanks to Jeff, Ronaldo, Sebastian, and to Dan Hill, Richard Norwood, Alexander, Jerry, and Theron Humiston. Just because talk to you tomorrow on Patreon at patreon.com slash thisishell when I find yet another metaphor for America, this time in central Illinois and we play an interview about how Green went wrong way back in 2011. I don't have any kind of script for this, but I just remembered because there is an art show being put up right outside of these studio doors. On Friday evening, from 4 p.m. to 11 p.m., there will be an art opening on the second floor at 2251 West Devon Avenue at Second Story Studios above Carrie's Lounge, just outside of our studio, is an art gallery, and that show is called Newbies and Oldies or something like that. I know that some of the artists involved are uh, Lisa Barcy. Sean Hopp, I I saw uh, several artists that we've had here on shows for This Is Art in the Past, so drop by for that on Friday evening. I believe they're going to then have gallery hours during the weekend, so check that out at uh, Carrie's Lounge at their Facebook page. Also, hang out with me tonight during This Is Hell office hours, our weekly meet and greet that's really a drink and think. And if you do, I'll give you a book just for showing up, but you got to remind me because I always forget. It all starts around 6 p.m. this evening at Carrie's Lounge, 2251 West Devon Avenue in Chicago's West Ridge neighborhood. Drop by, hang out, enjoy the beer garden, have a drink. If you want, I'll gladly give you a tour of our studios, but I don't know if I'm actually allowed to do that right now because they don't want people up here to look at the art show. But if you don't tell anybody, I won't tell anybody. If you are interested uh, in possibly you know, becoming a producer on the show, we can talk about that or anything you want to chat me up about. That's This Is Hell Office Hours every Wednesday beginning at 6 in the evening at Carrie's Lounge, 2251 West Devon Avenue in Chicago's Westridge neighborhood. There's only one way to get over all of the problems that we've introduced to you on this week's shows. That's by sitting down in the lotus position, turning your palms towards the sky, focusing on that white, burning white dot in the middle of your forehead, and saying the simple words, everybody's stupid.
2: My demon is on my butt. Uh. My demon talks to me in profanity like a Uh sailor. And my demon tries to knock me down. And my demon tries to put me on a hell ride.